and welcome to Leader's Call to Adventure. I'm Lori Ference. Perhaps you noticed that I didn't say the show for those that take the road less traveled. And there's a reason for this. <laughs> it was March break last week. And my son and I went to see some good friends of ours in Prince Edward County. It's a really cool area of Ontario that's almost completely surrounded by water with a great foodie scene, artists, wineries, just a really cool community. In any event, my son and I were hanging out there with our friends for March break. And my son's friend's dad, who's also a good friend of mine, is an artist. And we spent many hours just chilling by the fire, sort of with our feet up, him on one couch, me on another, and having these tete-a-tetes <laughs> discussions. I considered him a mentor. And I actually had this brainwave the other day that I'm going to invite him to be a guest on the podcast. Stay tuned for that for an upcoming episode. We had a conversation and he was giving me some feedback about the podcast. And one thing stood out to me. He focused on the term the show for those that take the road less traveled, specifically the road less traveled, and pointed out that that phrase is a common vernacular, which in itself is an oxymoron to the theme of the podcast, because the road less traveled is the road less traveled. It's not cliche. <laughs> we talked about this further, and I considered this, and I'm going to drop that expression from the show and substitute it with something more suitable and more original, I hope. What we're doing here, it's like we're on a ship. And we call this ship the sublime. We're on a voyage. A voyage of the sublime. We are searching for what's meaningful. We are looking for parts of us that we are yearning to complete and bring into fruition. We're looking for a real sense of connection with ourselves and with others. A deep experience of life. And keeping in mind that everybody's journey on this ship is their own. It honors individuality. It's authentic. It's unique to you. And it's about uncovering or living into your essential self, which is really a voyage of discovery because there's so much more to ourselves than we might initially know. And this journey is perhaps infinite. I'd just like to say thanks to those of you that reached out after the last episode. Encounter with the Hat Man. After I finished recording that episode, I was looking for artwork, something that would be appropriate to represent what I saw that night in the dark. And on Googling shadow figure, hat man, keywords like that, I came to find out that this is a bit of a phenomena. In fact, I wasn't the only one that had experienced a similar thing. I'm not sure exactly if what I experienced is a shadow person. 
or what is alluded to by that term. However, I found it interesting when looking at Wikipedia. Seems that back in 2001, Art Bell of Coast to Coast AM first spoke about this topic when he interviewed Native American elder Thunderstrikes, who is also known as Harley Swiftier Reagan. During the show, listeners were encouraged to submit drawings of shadow people that they had seen, and a large number of these drawings were immediately shared publicly on the website. Heidi Hollis published her first book on the topic of shadow people and later became a regular guest on Coast to Coast. She described shadow people as dark silhouettes with human shapes and profiles that flicker in and out of peripheral vision. She claims that people have reported the figures attempted to jump on their chest and choke them. She believes the figures to be negative, alien beings that can be repelled by various means. Now, that's where her description doesn't match what I experienced. I'm sure that in the episode, you may have been on the edge of your seat as I described what I experienced. And I certainly was afraid at the time. Facing fear was the key takeaway from that experience for me. I guess I'd look at the whole thing about negative beings and spirits in a slightly different way. Now, not to say that I haven't encountered beings that seem to have a lot of darkness around them. I have had enough experience over the years to know that we have the ability to affect our own experience of them. Now, if we dive deep into the fear, we probably will have a much more scary experience. (laughs) Makes sense, right? What I'm saying is that as we become more aware of these things, as we get more familiar with them, as we start to understand and put things in context, then that a lot of that fear starts to settle down. Okay, spoiler alert. So if you haven't listened to the last episode and you're interested, fast forward three minutes. (laughs) What I'm saying here is that when I jumped out of the bathroom and faced that figure that I saw and there was nobody there and it disappeared, it strengthened me. It gave me courage or it helped me to find courage that I already have. I'm not saying that since then I've been completely fear-free especially when dealing with spirits. No, 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 no. (laughs) Dealing with, I don't know if that's the correct word, especially in my interactions with spirits. However, each experience I've had, it gives me more understanding of context. And I'd say that probably certain things don't freak me out as much as they might have once upon a time. I'm not saying that I'm inviting whoever might need my help from the spirit world to just come up to me and present themselves or jump out at me. Actually, I have made clear that I don't want any of that stuff, especially after another thing that happened when I was on a very long journey with my kids, the epic road trip, I call it, back in 2013. Somebody told us about this hotel in New Mexico and I decided that I had to go there and stay there. Yeah, that's another one. Just bookmark it for another time. (laughs) 
definitely got freaked out that time. Just briefly, I had an experience of sleep paralysis there. And there are scientific explanations for that. You know, when you perceive a shadowy shape getting more and more afraid, unable to move, (laughs) straining against your vocal cords. I don't know if any of you have had this experience. Let me know if you have. I didn't discover till recently that it is a phenomenon, sleep paralysis. And I'm not exactly on board when it comes to the scientific explanations as to what's happening in the brain and that there's a perfectly logical explanation for this. And it has absolutely nothing to do with anything besides our own mind's creation or physiological reason. I guess that's kind of parallel to near-death experience explanations where scientists say that some scientists, not all, because I know there are scientists that have had near-death experiences, which actually brings me to another point, (laughs) but we'll get there in a bit. What I am saying is that there is more going on. I'm not just having an individual experience. There are others out there and there's all kinds of interpretations. However, when I told the story, I didn't know. Another friend of mine, Conrad, who was the friend that we stayed with last week, brought into my awareness the concept of the third man. This is another thing, another topic that I hadn't heard about, (laughs) which he thought of when he listened to my episode about the hat man. These beings that come in at certain points in time and oftentimes say somebody in an extreme crisis situation will hear a voice. And some might attribute that to a guardian angel, let's say. But serious skeptics and scientists who do not have much use for the invisible world, that is anything that cannot be distinctly proven. Well, I think proof itself is subjective. Now I know some of you will disagree with me on that. Back to the third man. What he pointed out to me was that people that had never really talked about experiences like this for the fear of not being taken seriously, who were scientists and explorers. Now, the third man concept was actually originated by Shackleton, the famous Northwest Passage explorer, who had an uh, experience of the third man or a voice that he heard. And it wasn't until much, much, much later that he included that experience in his writings. In his book, South, Shackleton described his belief that an incorporeal being joined him and two others during the final leg of their journey. Shackleton wrote, during that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. His admission resulted in other survivors of extreme hardship coming forward and sharing similar experiences. And there are others known, well-known adventurers like climber Reinhold Mesner and polar explorers Peter Hillary and Anne Bancroft who reported the experience. Now, as mentioned, some have related this to the concept of a guardian angel or imaginary friend. And scientists consider this maybe a coping mechanism or an example of bicameralism. And bicameralism is a hypothesis in psychology that argues that the human mind 
once assumed a state in which cognitive functions were divided between one part of the brain, which appears to be speaking, and a second part, which listens and obeys. And so we might have an experience of ourselves as two distinct parts, perhaps via stress, identifying one part of ourselves as something outside of ourselves. Interesting. I understand skepticism, the whole prove it thing. Okay. However, how can we prove things? This let's talk about something actually about proving, proving things. What constitutes as proof? What do we believe is proof? What do we value as proof? Is direct experience proof? Because if we're saying that this sort of phenomenon happens where the brain essentially splits into two and we think there's somebody else there and there actually isn't, that our direct experience cannot be seen as proof, that there's something else going on. So as I say, proof is subjective. All I know is that I've had certain experiences and I'm curious about what others have had out there. A lot of mine can't be explained away. And well, as we go along with this show, I'm sure I'll tell you more about all those (laughs) as my fellow travelers on this journey. I found it curious. One thing led to another. I shared my story about the hat man. I found out there was such a thing as a hat man, independent of my own experience. I also discovered that shadow people and the concept of hat man kind of go hand in hand. And maybe one might be taken for another. I didn't experience what I did in a sleep state. So I wasn't laying in bed when I saw something approaching me, although that sort of thing has happened before. That's not what happened in this case. If there's anybody out there that has some thoughts about this and direct experience, I'm interested to hear about it. Not as proof that my experience happened, however. I have my own sense of that. And ultimately, that's all we can do is have our own sense of what our experience is of life and trust that. I believe that when we take too much stake in what others' opinions are of our experiences is when we really can go away from ourselves and go off track, get lost at sea, so to speak. I know I've definitely had that experience before, a desert experience and even a prolonged desert experience, searching and in the space where I was not able to guide myself from within that I started looking outside for external guides that I was not comfortable with not knowing. And I would say that at times when we aren't comfortable with not knowing that we can go even farther away from ourselves. I know that seems perhaps a bit counterintuitive that allowing ourselves to not know can actually guide us closer to the answer. That's been my experience. It takes a lot to be in not knowing and to let go 
of the need to know. And there's a certain magic within that. There was a quote by Rumi that came across my radar today. And it feels relevant to share here. When I run after what I think I want, my days are a furnace of stress and anxiety. If I sit in my own place of patience, what I need flows to me and without pain. From this I understand that what I want also wants me, is looking for me and attracting me. There is a great secret here for anyone who can grasp it. That feels very relevant. This needing to know, this needing to see the light and have a clear path, and discomfort with not knowing can be part of that, part of that running after what I think I want, which is knowing. (laughs) But gosh, if we knew everything and we had a clear idea of what was going to happen, what fun would that be? It's the mystery of life. It's the unknown that really gives life the beauty of the unfolding of an experience. Not so easy to remember when we just need to know now. <laughs> right now. Not yesterday, but now. Yeah. Oh, surrender, surrender, surrender. I'd mentioned in the last episode that I was going to tell you a story that was related to my hat man encounter in the way that I faced a fear and it changed the situation. What I'm alluding to is an experience that I had, gosh, it might be almost a month ago now. I don't know how many of you experienced this before, but the idea of lucid dreaming, perhaps you've heard about it. Essentially what lucid dreaming is, the experience of waking up while you are inside a dream or perhaps experiencing yourself apart from who you are inside of your physical body. So the idea that you can travel outside of it with your consciousness and leave your physical self behind, maybe sleeping on the bed. That's called lucid dream. So what I experienced was something like a lucid dream, although that wasn't the way it started. And I would not characterize it as such now. I would characterize it more as an out-of-body experience. And perhaps that will become clear to you when you hear the story. Now, it's kind of hard for me to tell this in a linear fashion, like A happened, and then B happened, and then C happened, and then D happened. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the film Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's the closest thing to what I experienced that I've actually ever seen out there, although it wasn't exactly like that. Inception was written and directed by Christopher Nolan. In doing some reading and research into the background behind the film, his interest was in the clash of objective reality with our subjective view of the world. He wanted to take an almost alternate reality approach, seeing the dream life as another state of reality and one that in certain circumstances can be manipulated. So in other words, 
you get aware that you're inside a dream and then you steer the direction of what's happening. The film differs from my experience in that the central character has to complete a, a number of very difficult and dangerous missions in which he plants an idea in another person's mind and then goes into their dreams. The similarity really stops at the idea that there can be several different realities that we go in between in dreams. And when I mentioned this is not linear, I cannot say that, first of all, I was in this scene and then the next scene happened the next scene because I could tell it that way. Maybe there's no other way to tell it. And that's probably the way I'm going to have to tell it. But I feel that all of those things sort of happened at once and that my mind sorted it into a line. And I'll say that it's almost subjective because I could feel like, did this happen first or did this happen first? It's like I could toss them into the air and say, no, this ball was number one. And then, no, actually it was this ball. No, no, it was this one, right? <laughs> so I see them as distinct experiences. And although I'll describe them in a linear fashion, that's not necessarily the way they are in absolute terms. So I was laying in bed and in the dream I was having, I was in a car with my husband, Aaron, and we were driving, gosh, I don't know, somewhere. And I think there were a couple of other people in the car. They must have been because when I stopped the car at the gas station, he and two others were outside of the car while I was filling up the gas tank. And as I started to fill up the gas tank at the gas station, I had this waking up moment. In other words, somehow in my current physical waking reality, I had recently filled up my car with gas and I couldn't understand why I would be filling the car up with gas when I already had a full tank. And that allowed me to become aware of the fact that it wasn't actually happening real time <laughs> or it wasn't happening in the current physical reality that I dwell in that I'm speaking to you from right now. In other words, I became aware that I was having a dream and that I was inside the dream. And I looked over at Aaron and these other two people and they were talking about some gig, like a music gig that they were going to play. And the singer, her name was Shakira, who I don't even, well, besides the famous Shakira, it wasn't that one. It was some other Shakira <laughs> that sang with them in this band. And I looked over and I said to Aaron, I said, hey, uh, we're not actually here right now. We are in bed and we're, this is, this experience is not really happening. And he was very involved in his conversation. It was almost like I couldn't even reach into where he was at, but in trying to reach him and trying to say, anchor him back to me and to coming back into our sleeping bodies on the bed, <laughs> I left that gas station and I then started experiencing another reality that was in our bedroom and our son Caden had come into the room 
you know, as he did when he was little, he'd come in and, you know, something had bothered him in his sleep and he was looking for comfort or for something, who knows, maybe a drink of water or something like that. He's a bit of a night owl. So is Aaron. He comes by it honestly. So he he's not much one for wanting to go to bed. I know a lot of kids are like that, but he likes to stay up. And sometimes it's really, really hard to get him to sleep and get him back to sleep. However, my experience of that was almost like it was really going on that he'd come into the room and wanted to go back to sleep. And I took him in my arms like I would have when he was a baby, although that doesn't really make sense because he came and walked in. But as I was holding him, I was kind of rocking him in my arms. Now He's 11 now. So physically, that's not possible. I can't hold his entire body in my arms, <laughs> at least not as easily as I was doing. So in that case, I was holding his upper body and it was like the, the, the bigger half of him was kind of just you know, dangling. <laughs> I didn't say dangling. It was like he was standing on the floor and then the upper part of his body was cradled in my arms and I was rocking him back and forth like I would a baby. And that was weird to me. That made me understand that that was actually not happening either. Not in this current reality form. This is just weird. It can't be happening. And then I went into another reality where I was walking down the hallway towards his room and saw somebody I knew. And I can't remember who that person was. I think I might've written it down somewhere, but it wasn't somebody that I was close to that would normally be in my house. And the sense was that she was babysitting our son while I was off or we were off somewhere. And it's not a person that I would ask to do that. So that was a little weird right? But I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm where I need to be now. And I'm walking down the hallway towards his bedroom. And then I go in there and I see him on top of his bed. And he's sitting on the headboard, like wide awake, like a monkey kind of just <laughs> perched on the top of his headboard. And I was like, wow, this kid is just so live wired. I, you know, it's the middle of the night and he's not going to sleep. But then I thought, kind of shook my head. It's like, no, 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 no. This can't be it either because he gets really hyper, but I, no, it, you know, it's not, it, this can't be happening. This, this is not it either. So then, well, I don't know if it's a then. It's probably not a then because <laughs> I'm thinking of different scenes. In another scene that was happening, I was laying in bed and Aaron was beside me in bed and our dog, Finnegan, came into the room. And it was weird because I'd had a sense that he was actually in the room already. So why he was coming back into the room was kind of weird for me. And I think that probably triggered the, well, this is not exactly the way things are. No, this can't be real either. Even though I'm in bed, Aaron's next to me. And then maybe somewhere in there, I remembered that Aaron had come home, but he'd gone down to his office, to his recording studio, as he sometimes does late at night. And he wasn't actually there. So it came into my awareness that that couldn't be real either because he wouldn't be in bed. And then comes the experience that connects to my last episode. Then I was by myself 
And I was in a huge dark school at nighttime. Very, very few lights. But I could see a big gymnasium. Like I was standing on one side of the gymnasium outside of the door and light coming through a doorway on the opposite side. And that lit up just enough of where I was so that I could kind of see where I was and get a sense of it being a school and get a sense of it being a gym. It was daunting. It was sort of an uneasy feeling being in this doorway and seeing this light on the other side and maybe almost having some sort of ambient light where I was, you know, the kind of lights in the school at night when they don't have all the lights on. Gosh, do any schools have that anymore? I don't know. Or do all buildings leave their lights on all night? See so many buildings with their lights on all night. I don't think it was like that when we were younger. What do you think? (laughs) Anyway, I was in the stairwell and looking over to the other side of the gymnasium at the light and felt like I have to go in there. I have to go into that gym. Then I got a sense of something else. It was almost like there was another being there besides me, but it wasn't anybody that was familiar to me. And I had that sense that I did when I encountered the hat man. Sort of ominous, mysterious. I could start to feel the fear building up in me. And I felt that this being was somehow leading me on this journey through different realities and different experiences. I clearly said, okay, I can go into this gym and I know that I'm going to encounter you and it'll pretty much be on your terms. In other words, you'll decide when you want to reach out to me or materialize or tap me on the shoulder or jump into my space. However, I'm not doing that. I'm not going in there so that you can jump out at me and tell me what you want from me. Show me. Tell me what you want. Who are you? What do you want? Just show me now. With such clarity. Uh, In other words, I'm not playing this game of going into the gym and having you jump into my space. You want something from me? Show up. Show me now. And in that moment, when I was so clear, full of courage, full of courage, and at a point where my will was very very clear on that I was not going to keep on going like this was when I fell back into my body and woke up. I think that I might have been calling out at some point in there. Yeah, 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 I was. I was because prior to falling through and back into my body, I fell into the one layer above where I was with Aaron in the bed and the dog was coming in the room. And then I was talking. I think I was trying to say something. I was straining my vocal cords to say something. And shortly thereafter, I was awake. I had my eyes open and Finnegan was sleeping on the floor and he'd been there all night and Aaron was not in the bed. If you listen to the last episode, you'll get the connection. That my experience with the hat man 
and my courage and my certainty that I was ready to face whatever the situation had inherently for me to fully show up there is when I regain my power and control over the experience. And then I came up with that expression that the mind is a placeholder for this space-time continuum. That was on reflecting about the experience the next morning. And I realized that our mind is incredibly powerful and important when it comes to experiencing this reality. Now, a placeholder, what does that mean? Well, it means that without the mind, without this strength of mind, that we can become lost. It was my mind's ability to sort through the details of what I was experiencing and to recognize the inconsistencies in order to track back to where I was and to the elements that formulate my current reality. It also gave me a sense that the mind can travel and can experience other time and space continuums as I did. That was a profound experience. I'm curious to know if others of you have had experiences like this of lucid dreams, of getting conscious in your dream and knowing that you're dreaming and being able to make conscious decisions that affect the dream as an active participant and not an observer. Or if you've had experiences where you're confronted with a situation that seems pretty overwhelming, scary, where you feel like there are greater forces at work and that you are very powerless to the experience and somehow are able to find yourself in all that. Interesting how such experiences can give us that sense of what our power is. It's a fine line. Surrender and understanding what our power is. How do those two concepts coexist? Reflecting on the Rumi quote again. Running after what we think we want. And perhaps that is a doubt of our own power to create our experience. Now that's not discounting others' experiences or interactions with others or what is called forth from us from a higher place. However, the universality comes in from this feeling of stress and anxiety that we can use our emotions as a guide. And when we're feeling stressed and anxious, knowing that maybe we don't quite see things in a way that is really serving us in the situation. And that's not to say that things can't be stressful. However, our thoughts can also make those feelings more prevalent. They can feed the feelings. They can make us feel more anxious. Patience. Patience. And the sentence from this quote. If I sit in my own place of patience, what I need flows to me and without pain. 
what I want also wants me. Hmm. Yeah. We are active participants in our experience. And yet the way we are present and our concept of what active means deserves some consideration and reflection. Whenever we're in that state of stress and anxiety, that there's some other understanding that's looking to surface that will help to soothe us in that moment. From the two experiences that I had, the one of the hat man and the other of the out-of-body experience, where I faced this entity in the dark gym and called it to me. I felt stress and anxiety prior to saying, just show up, just show me I'm ready to deal with whatever it is. The stress and anxiety came before that. But when I became clear that I would face it, the stress and anxiety left the situation completely morphed. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on all the different topics I've talked about in this one about what you think about me changing, not changing the theme of the podcast, but describing it slightly differently as the voyage of the sublime, how that resonates with you and what your experience of that is. If you enjoyed this episode and the direction that I'm taking with the podcast, please do let me know. I'd love to hear your feedback. And I'm not sure that this is the ultimate direction that I'm just going to explore all these places, these invisible places every time. I don't think I will, but that's what's alive for me right now. I could talk probably at length about other ideas and feelings and thoughts that came to me in that week of repose and reflection that I just had, but it will ripple through and it will unfold. And I'm okay with that. I, I don't have a clear idea. I'm on the ship with you. I am present with the ideas, the thoughts, the feelings that are with me from every moment and guiding me in terms of what I share. My hope is that when I do that and I'm really present with it, that it will resonate for you. That's been my experience so far. The shows that I've had the most direct feedback from you are the ones where I've shared my personal experiences and it's allowed you to share yours with me. Those have been so awesome. I really, really thank you for that. It's wonderful to have a community on the journey because as you know, it feels very isolated and lonely sometimes. And I am starting to think that that's the process for most visionaries and artists and leaders, that we have this process of deep loneliness in uncovering whatever it is that we are meant to uncover and share with the world. And then the joy of sharing it and 
receiving feedback and hearing about others' experience. I would say I have this dichotomy in my character where I feel the need to be alone sometimes and also the need to be very social (laughs) and talk about all this stuff. (laughs) I love it. Oh, I guess you probably know that by now. All right, folks, I'm going to cut it here. I just want to say for those of you that have left me iTunes reviews, thank you so, so much. I do need more of those, especially in the United States. Just reach out. Let me know you're out there and what you think of the show. Anything you'd like to hear about on the show. Okay. So until next time.